Oscarage, they wanted to say thank you to everybody here for our participation with the meal. So that they just painted a new mural in their auditorium this year. It's kind of a kind of a cool thing. But there's like 70 teachers and staff across the street, and um, they all got a steak lunch. So that was um, thank you for your help with that. It made a huge difference. They were very very appreciative. We're hoping that when we uh, serve them at the beginning of the school year, we're going to do a breakfast for them when the teachers come back as they're getting their classrooms ready. Um, so pray for that work and that stuff that's coming together for serving them. We hope to do them. We may be serving over at Mansfield as well um, for that particular day. So, But they were very, very thankful and appreciative of that. I do want to say before we, uh, before we go into the message, I need to say a few words about Father's Day. Um, so we're doing it a little different at church this year. And um, if it doesn't sit well with you, um, it's too late. Um, so just blame me. Um, on Mother's Day, we, uh, we, all, we had no Saturday service. We all gathered on Sunday morning. On Father's Day, we're doing the opposite. So um, we are, I'm going to be bringing the whole church together on Saturday evening and encouraging. Um, you guys already do this, so I don't need to convince you. I've got to convince everybody tomorrow that the best way to enjoy a Sabbath is come to service and worship on a Saturday evening, and then your whole next day is a Sabbath day. So we're all going to gather on Saturday evening for, for, for the service for Father's Day. And then I'm going to tell everybody to let, uh, let all the dads sleep on Sunday morning. Um, so that's, that's my selfish plan. Um, that's, that's what we're doing. So um, we're going to jump here into the book of Acts um, in a moment. Let me just uh, let me pray and, um, as we go in there. And I'm going to pray specifically. Sandy, what's your dad's first name? Matt. Matt. And uh, Matt. Mac. Um, and Mac is in his last weeks, and we need to pray that his heart would turn to the Lord. So... Let me pray for that as we, uh, we prepare to go into Acts. Lord, I ask for, pray for uh, comfort in Sandy's heart and um, pray that you would work the timing out as she thinks about heading back across the country to go see her dad. Um, in particular, as she has, has requested that um, Mac's heart would turn to you. Even this morning as we look at Acts and the call for us to be centered upon you and your son Jesus um, who opens the way for us. And we, we would desire... Um, to see that miracle happen in Max's heart, um, that he might meet with you. And so we would offer that to you. It's in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. You can turn to Acts 10. We'll get there in a few minutes, but we need to catch up. It has been over a year since we were in this book. I think we got sidetracked somewhere on the way. Um, we got through, I believe, chapter 9, um, and we're going to be uh, moving through the rest of the book. You'll be hearing from... Um, a variety of teachers this summer, so uh, Pastor Mike's going to be teaching, uh, Micah Coates going to be teaching, um, John's going to be teaching actually next week, um, Jerry Bowen, um, and not, in two weeks, John, Mike's on next week, um, John Phillips is going to be teaching, so you'll be hearing from a variety of people. We're going to aim to move through the remainder of the book, believe it or not, by the end of the summer. So um, the way we're going to do it is going to be a little similar to what we did with um, our leading up to Easter. We're going to be taking the chapters, and we're basically going to um, show, just tell the story of that chapter, um, pull out a few key things that we ought to, we ought to all know about that, and then um, each of us are going to just try to pull one thing out of there that we really think God wants to bring home to us out of that particular chapter. So that's how we will be uh, moving through it um, over the course of the rest of the summer, except for Father's Day, which will be a little bit of something different. I want to go back and kind of recall why are we in this book and what's happened so far, um, so we kind of know where we are moving um, in the beginning. I uh, shared in the beginning, of the very, very beginning of the series, that we talked about catching waves. Um, the, actually, both pictures are the same area. Um, 
That's Lake Michigan in two different ways it looks. Um, and that actual, right on that very spot of beach, I hope to be there in five days. I'm going to be standing there. So um, it's nice and I'm looking, yes, I hope it looks like that when I'm there. Um, and, uh, but we talked about the fact that um, I was, when I was a kid, and you could do it in the ocean or the, Lake Michigan, and Lake Michigan actually does get rough. It's actually, they have a huge number of drownings there because the undertow pulls out and the waves actually can get really, really big. Um, but uh, you, we would body surf all the time, and the deal with body surfing, you, you wait for the wave and you catch the wave, right? And you, you ride on the wave. If you catch it right, you get this glorious ride and you feel like you did something great. Um, if you go too soon, you just die, you just kind of sink in the water. Um, if you go too late, you're trying to catch up to the wave and it just passes you by. Um, and uh, so you look way down out further, and you can see this was that day in particular just real rough, but there's, there's days when they'll, they'll come, you can kind of see it coming, and certain waves will build up, and then they'll just kind of die, but other times you can see one coming, and you kind of time it and catch it. And we were talking about the movement of the Holy Spirit is, is kind of like that. The Holy Spirit moves like he does in waves, and we're supposed to be paying attention to what he does, where he is going, and how he is working. And um, that's for all of us individually. It's for us as a church. It's for our leadership at the church to be paying attention to that, to see how God is working. And the fact is, sometimes we, um, we miss it, and um, God is moving, and we just don't quite engage, and it, it moves through. Um, sometimes he's moving somewhere else, and we're like, wow, that's very cool what's going on over there. I wish you'd do that here. Um, other times, we're just like right in the, the thick of it. And it's like you just you can just tell he's at work, and we just enter into that place and enjoy it. And other times, and this has happened, you get caught totally by surprise. Have you ever been in the ocean? And the big wave also just comes and catches you. You just you weren't looking for it, and it grabs you. And you, it may not look pretty, but it just carries you along, and you just kind of tumble with it. And uh, the Holy Spirit does that as well. And sometimes it comes and just swoops up people and carries them along. So we, as a our purpose, looking into Acts, is we want to be able to begin to look at the early church, how the Holy Spirit moved in them, and to be able to begin to form habits of our paying attention to the work of the Holy Spirit so we don't miss it. Our big idea was that when God's people are united in a common purpose and are unified by the Holy Spirit, the uncommon becomes common. Um, God never meant for his work to be the uncommon thing. It was supposed to be the normal thing. And so as God is at work, when we are uh, united to his purposes and united with his people, which goes right back to what Dave Drum was speaking about, the, the, the uniting the larger body of Christ, the more that happens, the more we experience the good things that the Holy Spirit wants to do. A little bit of review about the book of, of Acts. Remember, it's a two-part book written by Luke. It's Luke and Acts. Together, those two books make up about a quarter of the New Testament. And so it's a large chunk of the New Testament comes from Luke himself. Um, it's a personal account. So... Um, a big portion of Acts, we discover that Luke was with Paul during that. So much of it comes either firsthand or very, very close at hand um, information. And so many of the places he'll be talking about what was happening to them because he was a part of it. And I like that because it, it, that pulls me into a book when the person is experiencing themselves and they're describing their own experiences in the midst of that. The book is a narrative um, Unlike like Romans or the epistles that are, that are, are teaching something, um, Luke, the Acts is a narrative, like as the Gospels are. Um, it's, it's telling the story. And we, sh- we share that for two reasons. One, it's because we like stories, so they're easy to enter into. Um, 
but narratives are not necessarily prescriptive in what they're telling us. So everything that we see the early church does doesn't necessarily mean that's what we're supposed to do. Um, it could be, um, and there's lots of great things there, so we're going to be pulling all these things out there, but it's not necessarily teaching us all together what to do. It's showing us what did they do and how is the Holy Spirit at work. Um, and we're going to see them as they wrestle with all sorts of different problems and experiences. Um, how did they walk through it? And we get to take a we kind of get to enter into their story and see it, and then we get grafted into that story as well because we, as part of the body of Christ, we're just later down the road. We are part of the book of Acts. Interesting, the book of Acts ends, you're waiting for Paul to get martyred um, because that's where, that's where it's coming to, and it doesn't show us that. And it leaves the book open-ended in a sense. And we are a continuation of that book, um, the book of the Holy Spirit's activity, um, building God's kingdom here in this world. The book is very active. It, it, goes, it moves through these various movements. We begin with the disciples. Then we have a, a smaller group that deals more with Peter, a little bit about Barnabas, and then it moves to be focused on um, Paul himself. At the same time, it moves from being about the Jews in the beginning, and then in the chapter we're looking at today, it transitions to being focused on the Gentiles and God's work there. It begins with Jerusalem, and it progressively moves out. We'll see they go to Caesarea, which we're at today. It goes to Samaria. It's already been there. And then it'll move up to Antioch, and then it begins to move all the way out. The book ends out in Rome. Um, with even indications from the New Testament that they were aiming for a place like Spain. So the book moves along, and it expands because that's what the Holy Spirit um, does. Verse 1 of actually of the uh, very beginning of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, says that it begins with all the things that Jesus did, and then it continues with the things that were done because he left. Remember we looked at the ascension before? Because Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit was able to come and do a work. And our greater work continues on. So we're in Acts chapter 10 tonight. Um, because we're taking big chunks here, we're definitely not going to be reading through um, all of these, but um, we're going to tell the stories. Uh, recall this before this, um, Stephen has been martyred. Um, Paul was part of that under a different name. He um, was part of that martyr. The church is, is, is scattering about, um, and yet they're bearing witness as they go. The disciples are still staying in Jerusalem um, and are still kind of held around there, and that's going to change here fairly soon. Um, and, uh, and then Paul gets saved, has that Damascus Road experience, his life has changed, and then he kind of steps out of the picture for a little bit because there's a, a fairly long period of time that he's being developed um, by the Lord in preparing for his service. Um, chapter 10 here that we get to tonight is, is pivotal because this is where it shifts from focusing on the Jews to a focus on the Gentiles. And it's actually the last vestments of where they were hanging on still things to the old law and still kind of wrestling with what do we do with our old ways and the ways we thought before and what has changed on Jesus has come and changed us. And these things all kind of come to bear here in this chapter 10. So, um, so far in the scriptures, it's mostly been a Jewish story, but here it's going to move from the Jews uh, to the Gentiles, which makes total sense because... Um, all through the Old Testament, actually, it's been calling for the Jewish, the, the nation of Israel to, to take the word to the Gentiles. It's all over the Old Testament. But even in the beginning of Luke, remember when uh, Jesus is brought to the temple and um, Simon says he's going to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And the very beginning of this Luke-Acts two-part thing is a promise that this is going to the Gentiles. This is going to go out to the world. This is going to expand. This is not to be held for one group, but this is supposed to be for all people. 
And that takes place here in this chapter. And this is also the transition um, right here um, of a significant part about Peter here, but then it's going to transition very, very quickly onto Paul in, in the chapters to come. There's four parts to the story. The first part is verses 1 through 8. It's the story of Cornelius, and we'll look at that in a moment. The second part of the story is uh, uh, first Cornelius has a vision. The second part of the story is Peter has a vision, at least or something happened here with him. Um, the third part is Cornelius comes together with Peter and the Holy Spirit, and they all come together, and God does this thing. And then the last part of the story is uh, the report goes out of what happened and what happens as a result of that. How do people respond um, to that story? So let's follow the story. Um, I'm just going to tell you the story. Um, hopefully you've read this or you can read it some more, but it starts out chapter 10, verse 1. at Caesarea. Um, there was a man named Cornelius who was a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. He was a devout man who feared God with all of his household, and he gave alms generously to the people. He prayed continually to God. And at about the ninth hour of the day, he had a vision. So we got this man named Cornelius. He was a centurion, so he was a, a, a leader of a, a large group of, of uh, soldiers. Um, Caesarea is about 30 miles from Jerusalem, um, or about 60 miles from Jerusalem, actually about 60 miles kind of north northwest of Jerusalem. Um, Herod the Great had built up, we talked about this, I think we looked at Herod at one point, had built up a bunch of that seaport, had, uh, had um, set some garrisons there. Um, he built a big, huge uh, home there, kind of a summer place. Uh, it, it was a huge city, lots of Gentiles there, and uh, it was a major seaport. So because of that, they had stationed a lot of soldiers there to protect the seaport. And there was apparently one group that was an Italian regiment, and this particular man, Cornelius, was a leader of one of those groups, um, of this Italian group um, that had been stationed there for a while. It says that he was a God-fearer. Basically, this meant that other than being actually Jewish, he was doing everything according to the ways of the Jews. He had adopted their, their uh, faith and their religion. So he was giving to the synagogue. He would attend. He was paying attention to the scriptures. Um, interesting that there's several stories about centurions New Testament, God seems to work in people with influence sometimes when he's doing a new work because they have a great um, influence as it spreads out from their place. Um, interesting, Caesarea was probably um, evangelized by Philip. You remember that story with the Ethiopian? Um, after the, after, after uh, the Ethiopian is baptized, Philip disappears. He finds himself on a road, and he follows the road, and he's evangelizing as he goes. And the final thing we hear about, um, about Philip is that he's in Caesarea. So he had probably been telling it. Um, there's not an indication here that Cornelius knew about Jesus at this point, but perhaps some in Caesarea had already been hearing and some things had been started there. It says here is a God fear that he was faithful. I don't think he was a believer, um, and that's you, people can argue about that, but if you go to chapter 11, um, verse 14, actually, and I'll read that, chapter 11, verse 14, as um, Peter is um, they're talking about it, um, Peter says that I was sent... He, Peter has this vision. He gets sent to uh, Caesarea, um, and uh, he says he's going to. The man who comes is going to be Peter. Will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your household. So when we're seeing the story, when Cornelius receives a vision, um, there's a promise that someone's going to come to him so that he can hear the message and get saved, which indicates to me that he's not saved yet. He's he's a God fear like the Jews, but he has not heard of Jesus and not given his um, attention to him. But he was seeking. He was a man who was seeking 
for life and for answers here in the story. And we're told here in this section that um, the verse, eight verses, that he has a vision. Um, actually, an angel of the God comes to him, and um, he's startled, and uh, he shares to him, he says, God's heard your prayers. And he says, he's, it's a very, very specific vision. He says, there's a man in Joppa, and you're to send for him, tell him he should come, and he's going to tell you the good news. Um, very, very specific. Uh, it's interesting, in verse 33, we discover that um, Cornelius was ready to hear a message. Um, and he had already begun gathering people around him. Because when he ends up showing up, um, with, when Peter comes, he gathers his, his relatives and all of his friends. Um, and actually, the work of God is within his whole household, this work happens. Um, Greek yogurt, oikos, right? Isn't that a, a Greek yogurt? Which, by the way, I hate the whole yogurt situation in grocery stores right now. Because it's like, no, there's no normal yogurt anymore. It's just the other kind. And my wife is always cooking with plain yogurt and vanilla. And I've always, I, it's like a nightmare. Um, but oikos is the word for household. It's just a word for household. And this is significant that he, he gathers his household. He's already been sharing his faith. He's already been kind of setting an example of seeking um, with his household. And he gathers them together. And in verse 24, we discover that he's going to gather his, all his relatives and close friend, his whole household. Um, so we have Cornelius. He has a vision, and he says, send some men to Joppa, and there's a man there, and you need to have him come to see you. So he's a centurion. He does exactly that. He sends some men um, that were, were also God-fears, and they go to Joppa to find um, Peter. So it says, uh, verse 9, the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter now is having something happen. So we've got Cornelius with the vision. He sends some men to Joppa, which, by the way, was about 30 miles um, south of, uh, of Caesarea. So they're sending, going to get Peter. While they're on their way, then we have this section about Peter, which is, begins with verse, um, verse 9 and following. It's interesting that Peter goes up on top of a housetop um, to pray. So like all of us, we said, I'm going to do a good job today. I'm going to go up and take some time to pray. And he goes up on the housetop, and what does it say happens to him? You guys know? He says he gets hungry. He's up there and he's getting hungry. You know, it's like he's trying to pray, and instead of being able to pray, he's hungry. And so he's thinking about food. And it says here he falls into a trance. I don't know if he just got faint because he hadn't eaten or whatever was going on. Is whatever was going on, but he has this, uh, falls into his trance, and he has a vision about what? About food. <laughs> you know, he's hungry, and God gives him this vision about food. And so in the, in the, the story, most of us know the story, this uh, this. This blanket, this sheet comes out of heaven, and in that are all the kinds of foods that as a Jew he was not supposed to eat, all the unclean foods that they were supposed to not eat. And he's told to rise up and kill the animals that are in that sheet and eat them. And he's alarmed by this because this is, this is not something he would do, um, not to eat. And it happens three different times. He has his chance three times. Um, when something's said three times, you're supposed to listen, right? So um, you're supposed to listen the first time, but it usually it takes three or more. But with Peter, he sees his vision three times um, on this, in these verses here. Um, and then a voice comes out in verse uh, 15, and it came to him a second time, and it says this, says, What God has made clean, do not call common. Um, you could just reword that. What God has made clean, don't call it unclean. Um, a common bowl, for instance, temple was considered unclean unless it was cleansed. So then common here is talking about common and clean. It says, don't call unclean what I've already called 
clean. And it says this happened three times, and this thing was then taken up at once um, up unto heaven. Um, what God has made clean, do not call it common. Who does he make clean? Makes all things clean, he can. Um, he makes us, he makes the very things um, clean. Um, I think that um, God was desiring to take his hunger for the law and shift it to a hunger for people that God had given his life for to save and to draw to himself. And God has this great plan to, to spread the word out to the Gentile world and spread it all the way out to us. And he wanted Peter to get a hold of that. And, the, and some of the things about the law were in the way of him because God had taken care of us. So Peter's up on this rooftop. He has this trance. It's interesting here. Then if you jump down to the next section here with... Um, actually, before we go on that, let me just say a couple things about, about the law. Um, the food laws, by the way, are... Um, they're fulfilled and they're ended in Jesus. The food laws were fulfilled and ended in Jesus. You can go back to Mark chapter 7, um, verse 19. Jesus makes a very, very clear statement about that. Um, when he came, it brought an end to that, a fulfillment as well as an end. God wants to make all people, that was his desire from the very beginning um, in Genesis, to make all people one household. We've talked about this last couple of weeks in being united, the larger body of Christ. He desires to bring us all and to make all of us into living stones that are being brought together into one household. The laws kept the nation separate from everybody else. And um, there's a reason for that and a purpose for that, but at this point, that's going to end because there was not to be any separation. The, the, the good news was for all people. And so God was taking away the things that divided um, in order to bring them as one. Um, Peter says, actually, later on in verse 20, um, here the, in his vision says, what God has made clean, don't call unclean. And then Peter, later on in verse 20, discovers his application of it is, I shouldn't call any person unclean. Um, he makes that transition. Um, I shall not call any person common or unclean. He actually gets it, what's about. All scripture has been pointing this. All scripture has been pointing to this being a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And Jesus had opened the way for all. And the truth is, in this book, um, we cannot be, and they could not be, the true, um, fulfilled um, body of Christ until the divisions were broken down, that all people could be brought in. As long as it was just a thing for the Jews, it was not going to be the body of Christ that he had desired for it to be. And so um, diversity, like we've talked about this the other week, diversity, yes, but division, no. And so here in this story, um, Peter is being brought up face-to-face with something that divided them. And God says, I've already removed this division. You need to let it go, too. You need to walk past this because I've got a greater work um, to do. One of the things that comes to mind about that for me is um, to never write anybody off. Um, and I do that in my heart sometimes. Um, those who seem like they're resistant, um, sometimes I'm just not happy with somebody and think they're never going to get it. You know, those things can go, we are not to do that. And I know there's some of you have prayed for people for a long, long time. Um, never write anybody off because God's desire is to move in everybody um, and to draw people into one household. And that's uh, part of what he's doing here. So the third part of the story here is we have Peter coming together with Cornelius and the Holy Spirit. So it says here on um, verse 17, Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, which, by the way, he does get it eventually here, um, 
The men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon Peter's house, stood at the gate, and they called to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was pondering the vision, the Holy Spirit spoke to him. He said, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down, and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter sees his vision. Don't put these laws aside. This, this is for everybody. And at that very moment, the Spirit says, Some guys coming to your door, listen to what they have to say. And without hesitation, follow them along and do it as I lead for him. And that's exactly what happens here. So Peter comes down. Um, they, uh, they meet up. Um, he says, I'm the one you're looking for. And they give the whole story about Cornelius and his vision. And he's supposed to go with them to Caesarea. And Peter immediately rises up. He takes a group with him. Um, and uh, they all head up to Caesarea to meet with Cornelius. It says the next day he arose, um, it's about verse 23, and went away with them, and he took some of the brothers from Joppa to accompany them, and on the following day they entered Caesarea. Um, Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together all of his relatives and his close friends. Um, Peter says to them, uh, this is verse 20. I can't read it very well. Verse 28, I think it is. You yourselves know how lawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. That's not the way to start, by the way. He comes in their house. I'm here. You guys called for me. The Holy Spirit told me to go. I'm not supposed to be with you guys. But guess what? I've learned something new. And we just saw that. He says, it's not, I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. And then Cornelius tells the story. He says, this is what happened. Um, and he called for me to do it and says, so you're here. What are you supposed to do? Um, and he basically just says, I had this vision. I was supposed to get you, so here you are. And Peter immediately then begins to share the gospel. He, he tells the story of Jesus. And we're going to look at that um, towards the end of this evening. Um, but um, they get there. He shares the gospel. Um, and in the midst of his message, it's interrupted by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit interrupts it before he even finishes what he has to say. Um, that's verse 44. And it actually says that the Holy Spirit falls on all. It uses the word all. Every person there, the Holy Spirit falls uh, upon them. Um, it says here that Peter and his companions are all amazed. Um, they're surprised. They're shocked. They're amazed. Uh, this is verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on everybody who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. It just poured out on all of them. And so uh, they, they baptized him right on the spot, um, verse 48, um, and then they remained with them for a few days. And then the last part of this story, um, it happens in Jerusalem. It's interesting that word spreads that Peter had gone to Caesarea and met with these men, and something had happened. Um, interesting how people respond. And they were angry. Um, the believers in, in, in Jerusalem were angry. And when Peter arrives there, they say, what were you thinking? Why were you with these people? You're not even supposed to be with them. And Peter ref just says, hey, God, God told me to go there. And this is what happened. He reports to them the story. You'll hear a little bit more about this next week. Um, but uh, they ask him, what were you thinking? He explains it. He shares some scripture that indicates what God was actually doing. And then um, he basically says, God was at work what was I supposed to do? This is God working, and you all can see it. And it's great. They, it says they fell silent, and then they glorified God. 
They fell silent and they glorified God and they received the great things that God had done. Um, great story. Um, and what I like about this story is the Holy Spirit is doing something. The Holy Spirit um, is, enters into the, the larger work of the kingdom and begins to move and he uses people to do it and he uses reluctant people to do it and he shifts and changes the whole landscape of the kingdom of God as it opens up um, to these people. It's interesting. I think Dave Drum mentioned a couple of weeks. You never know who's waiting to hear. You just don't know. And he has this whole household together. They're all ready to hear. And this incredible experience happens to them. Um, as we started the book of Acts, I shared, and I still believe this is true. I believe the Holy Spirit is at work here at the vineyard. Um, I, I, I'm seeing him working some churches in our neighborhood here. I see him working in our immediate neighborhood. Um, I've seen things happening in people's lives. Um, and I see these waves coming. Um, and there's some are small, and we see God's working. Um, I'm praying for um, a large wave to wash through, um, to, to do whatever he wants to do. Um, and we need to be looking for it and paying attention to it, um, to look at the signs of his work, because Peter was at least attentive enough that he saw something happening and he entered into it. And by doing so, it just broke open the work of God in their midst. And so we want to pay attention to that too, to be able to watch it, to welcome it when it happens, and to join into it. So this evening I want to share three things to remember from this passage, three things. This is where we want to um, give our focus tonight. The first thing is that the Spirit works however he wills. Um, the Spirit does what he wants to do. And the reason he does is because he's God. And God moves and acts as he chooses to move. Um, he comes, he moves, he fills, he gives, he comforts um, as he chooses to do so. Um, he's not required, if we've got some great idea of this is how, what we're supposed to do in our church, he's not required to come along and make it work. Um, he may destroy it and do something different. Um, he may not, we may have missed it altogether. He can move in the midst when we're not doing anything, and he just steps does something anyways, but the Spirit works as he wills. He is God, and he is free in his movement. Jesus in John chapter 3 compares him to the wind. You're not even sure where it's coming from, and you're not sure where it's going, but it blows through, and the Holy Spirit does that in our midst. We can't control him, but we can give control over to him. Um, we're, gonna, we're actually going to sing a song about how God chooses to move as he wants um, tonight and because um, he's God. And the Holy Spirit, as God himself, um, we, can't, we can't manipulate him to do something. Um, we can't twist his arm. Um, we can't control him, fortunately. And, um, but we can be controlled by him as we choose to submit ourselves, even as we sang earlier. Um, interesting, the, uh, I think I've shared this story before, but there was um, reports in the first great awakening um, when you know, the Holy Spirit would just move in these cities, these towns, these little towns, um, just out of the blue. Um, but there was reports of ships coming from England. And when there was a, a town, a port town, where the great awakening was actually happening, where people were repenting and the Holy Spirit was actually moving, the ship coming into the harbor before they had even gotten there, they didn't know anything about what was going on. Um, men were falling on the deck and crying out in repentance um, before they even got to the deck. You can't explain that. Um, 
You can't explain it other than the fact that the Holy Spirit just steps in and does something. I've never seen that. Um, I would love that to happen. Um, he works in other ways, too. They're just as amazing. But the Holy Spirit does as he chooses to do in the midst of people, and he moves and acts as he wants to. And so we should pray for his work, and we should pray for ready hearts to receive his work, and we should pray for a work in our hearts to be submitted to whatever he wants to do. Um, because that's the only safe place to be um, in the midst of his hands. So number one, the Spirit works as he wills. Number two, the Holy Spirit is on a mission. And we should know what that mission is. Back in John chapter 16, and I'll actually I'll read those for you. Um, Dave Drum has just been uh, teaching about this particular prayer of Jesus. And he was in John 17 mostly. But here in John chapter 16, Jesus is talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he says this about him. Um, the Holy Spirit will, the, the Spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come, and he will glorify me. Um, the Holy Spirit is here and is on a mission, has a very specific mission. Um, amongst other things, his mission is to guide us into truth. Um, his mission is to speak the things to us that the Father gives him to speak, um, to bring him to our heart. And thirdly, his mission is to glorify Jesus. His mission is to glorify Jesus, which is why we're focusing on that tonight. Um, the Holy Spirit is on a mission, um, and he's going to work as he wills. And his mission is to speak truth. His mission is to guide us to truth, to speak for the Father, and to glorify Jesus. J.I. Packer says this, the Holy Spirit's ministry is to mediate the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it's to make Jesus real in our midst. Um, to bring us in touch with the very work and the presence and the life of Christ himself. John Piper says this, the Holy Spirit loves to come and take the truth about Jesus and turn it into an experience of Jesus. Which I really like that. Um, we hear the truth about him, but the Holy Spirit can then take it and create it into an actual experience with Jesus and participation with the things that he wants to do. And that is the Holy Spirit, his mission. And guess what? God carries out his mission. And God is always working to carry out his mission. So we should expect to see the movement of the Spirit in our lives and in the life of our church. And the number three here, and the last thing I want to share, and what I'd like us to, to, to carry on with us as we spend our time in worship. The Holy Spirit shows up when Jesus is lifted up. The Holy Spirit shows up when the Spirit is lifted up. Now, the Holy Spirit's in us all the time, so he's always here. Um, but he seems to um, make himself more known. Um, and, or, or, we're just, or maybe we just pay better attention to it um, when Jesus gets lifted up. Our number one value as a church that we have, uh, we've talked about is that Jesus is to be the center. And our mission as a church, one of the, the statements in there is that we would be a community of Christ followers. Our focus is to be on Jesus. Um, look at Peter's sermon for just a minute. If you go back to up uh, when Peter teaches here, verse 34, it says, um, so Peter opened his mouth and he said, truly understand that God shows no partiality, but every nation Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. For the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism of John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. 
He went about doing good and healing all who were pressed by the devil, or pressed um, by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And Jesus commanded us to preach to the people to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Who's that sermon about? It's just about Jesus, isn't it? Um, It talks about that Jesus brings us peace in verse 36. It says that Jesus reigns. He's Lord of all. It says that he's the anointed Messiah in verse 38. It says that he is empowered by the Holy Spirit with great power in verse 38. It says that he fulfilled the word. It says he went about doing all these things, which is exactly what Isaiah predicted that he would do. Um, It says that he defeated Satan, that he was a suffering servant, verse 39, that he broke the power of death in verse 40, that he's the judge of all people in verse 42, that all the prophets, as a matter of fact, all the scriptures point to him, verse 43, and that he forgives us. Um, So what does Peter does? He, He gets there. What am I supposed to do? He does what he can do. He lifts Jesus up. He just lifts him up so everybody sees Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit comes in power, and people are transformed right on the spot, absolutely transformed as he teaches. So if we want to see, if I want to see um, the Holy Spirit's work, um, if we want to experience his wonders um, in our midst, um, if we want to experience in a more tangible way the, the presence of God in our homes, in our church, in our business, in our neighborhood, in our schools, um, in this building, um, what do we do? Pretty simple. We lift up Jesus. That's what we do. The very, the very first thing and the very best thing we can do is we just exalt Jesus and who he is. Um, and somehow that simple act um, seems to open up a, a doorway for us to be available to the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit um, in us. Um, Janice, if you could bring the worship team up, and uh, we're going to sing a bit. Um, we're giving you lots of time to sing tonight um, and to, to uh, settle into it. Um, but before we do that, um, I would like to take a minute. And um, we've heard we're supposed to exalt Jesus, okay? We're going to sing and exalt him, um, but let's, use, let's pray it out first. And so um, I would just ask, we're a smaller group here, you guys can all hear each other, but just pray it out loud. But let's just do some short prayers of just prayers that exalt Jesus. That's it. Just prayers that exalt Jesus, that tell us our thankfulness for him, that glorify him, that speak things that are true about him. Um, prayers that ex- experience, that exalt and lift up Jesus. Just whoever wants to pray, just uh, pray those out and then... Um, I'll pray over our communion table here, and we will begin to sing. Jesus, we acknowledge that you sit at the right hand of the Father, that you have authority, and you are
Lord Jesus, you are a great shepherd, and you are the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. So we thank you for the bread and the cup. Um, Constant reminders, not just Sunday mornings, but every time we pick up a piece of food, to remind us of the greatness of your love and your sacrifice for us. Um, And so we exalt you um, above all things. Um, And we give you thanks. Amen. Amen.